Good evening. Welcome to Pigeon Post. My name is Michael, and it is the tail end of Father's Day here in Colorado. Uh, it's like 11 o'clock or something like that. And um, I'm not driving to work anymore on my long commute, so I'm not uh, able to use all of that time to do my, um, my normal off-the-top-of-my-head type pigeon post. Um, but that's good because I've been wanting to follow up on this series, um, which I started and um, have kind of big plans for because it's the most important thing. It's the gospel. It's what we should be all about as Christians. And it's the reason why I started this podcast. And in the first um, episode called The Gospel in Color, I tried to tell the worldview and story of the gospel of what God has done in Christ to redeem a people for himself, to save us, as we say, and how he's done that all for his glory, that the gospel starts and ends with the glory of God. And I used colors to kind of tell that story. And this isn't really something original. It's just something that I learned when I was younger and I've kind of expanded on and, and kind of fleshed out a little bit. Um, so I was going to start with the first color, which is yellow and yellow is also the last color. So there'll probably be two episodes at least on yellow because the gospel starts with the glory of God. And in order to understand the glory of God, we have to know who is God and what has he done? We have to know what God we're talking about and what he's like. And we have to know something about his nature and whether he's personal or impersonal and all those kind of things. And um, we're getting this information from his word, which I believe is self-attesting. When you read the Bible, it attests to itself. And I'm really not too concerned with people um, saying that that's a circular way of thinking or whatever. Um, my analogy is basically from scripture, right? God wrote on the tablets of stone when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He wrote with his finger and revealed himself to that. In that way, revealed his commands, revealed his character to his people. So God has initiated um, this contact, this revelation from himself. And there's also revelation in nature, which attests to the basic attributes of what you would think God is. And there's also a revelation sort of in our hearts, stamped on our hearts. We know through our conscience what's right and wrong. So when you have these two or three, depending on how you look at it, uh, forms of revelation, um, you see that the only thing that makes sense with all of this information is the gospel and that the Lord attests to that through his spirit. So um, that may sound closed-minded to you, but... Um, I, I just encourage you to, to kind of hear me out, hear what the gospel is, hear what God says about himself in the word. And the beautiful thing is you don't have to mentally convince yourself because um, what's going to happen is you're going to see um, that God is who he says he is in his word. And this is not going to happen through some kind of feeling. Um, that happens, you know, I'm not saying you're going to get like a chill up your spine or anything like that. I'm saying that God's word is self-attesting. It is going to make the most sense out of reality. 
and it is going to show you who God is. And when you have doubts or um, some kind of pushback within yourself, that that is also attesting to the truth of it because most of those pushbacks are going to come from not wanting to let go of particular sins or something like that. Um, so anyway, before I get too off track with that, um, we want to just start, what is the good news? What is the gospel? Gospel means good news. And the good news is all about God. It starts with God. So we use the color yellow, or we could use gold, yellow or gold, to represent that. So the story starts with the yellow. The story starts with this gold, this valuable glory of God. And A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about us or about a person is what we think of when we think of God. So I'll say that again. The most important thing about you is what you think of when you think of God. And I think that's just another way of saying that the most important thing in life is to know God, or as the Westminster Catechism says, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, um, I have all my notes written out. I've had them written out for, or at least half of them for a day or two, maybe three. And then today I kind of fleshed out a little bit more of that. And then right before I was going to do this, I saw um, an article about sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. And um, it just really struck me because it's Father's Day, right? And God has revealed himself through his son, which means that God is a father, okay? And we have people claiming to be Christians who want to be called father, which Jesus said, call no man father. And they're perpetrating this abuse. And what does that do to the name of Jesus? What does that do to God's name among people? It rubs it into the ground. And so I'd say I have a little bit of, of righteous uh, indignation here, a little bit of, of right anger. And I think that... Um, that we need to, as fathers, this is just a side note since it happens to be Father's Day, that if you're listening and you're a father, this stuff that we're talking about, whether you think I'm right or wrong, what the Bible says about God, or what we believe about God, is the most important thing about us. Not because, not only because heaven and hell is based on it, not only like this afterlife view of, of why it's important, but it affects everything about us in our life. What we believe about God affects everything about us. And if we want to see justice prevail, if we want to see um, good things happen in the world and people's lives be changed, the only thing that is the power to change it is the gospel. And the gospel starts with knowing who God is and what he's done. So I think that anytime, whatever the news article is that you pick up and read that may be disturbing, when, when it says to you in your heart, something's wrong with the world. Why is the world this way? And then the people that say they know God, why are they jacking things up even more? This is some of that self-attesting 
truth about God. When we come to his word, God is going to show us these things. And he's going to make things clear. So I believe that his word is clear. So I don't need, you know, some authority to tell me what God's word says. I need the Holy Spirit to tell me what God's word says. I need the gospel and what Jesus has done, his person and his work and what he's done to reveal the truth about scripture to me. So I'm not coming to scripture and saying, oh, I know everything about scripture. I'm going to figure it out on all on my own. That's not the point. The point is, I don't need an authority to override what God has made clear. God has made himself crystal clear in his word. And anytime that it is not clear, it's because we don't want to see it. We love darkness rather than light. Our hearts are, are wicked and deceptive, um, deceitful above all things, the Bible says. So, um, sorry about the long intro. I'm kind of... Um, rambling, but the point is who God is, is really important. All I, all I'm really going to do here to, today is read a ton of scripture. I'm going to read scripture. I'm going to recommend some scripture with you. So you're going to hear the pages flipping a lot. And I'm going to try to really just stay out of God's way because I'm going to let God say who he is. And I don't want you to say, to listen to this and say, Oh, Michael know, thinks he knows everything about God, and um, and he's closed-minded. I'd rather you say, the Bible, in the Bible, God reveals himself this way, and maybe I like that and maybe I don't. We can talk about that, right? Maybe you like what God says about himself, maybe you don't. But really irrelevant what Michael thinks about God. Um, personally, it's important, like the quote saying what the most important thing about us is what we think about God, because we want to have a relationship with him. But I'm not inventing this. This is what God says about himself. Um, so I wasn't planning on reading this. And I'm warning you, I'm going to read a ton of scriptures, so I hope you enjoy that. <laughs> I wasn't planning on reading this, but I'm actually going to read two chapters in 1 Kings, because of what I told you really disturbed me. And, and I want to especially read this for the fathers or the men listening. Um, and really, it's for everyone. We all need to know God, and it's very important. For, but for the men or the fathers especially, um, this is what it's like. What I'm about to read, this is what it's like to, to have a true view of God and for people to not like that about you. Um, anyway, let me just read it and you'll see what I'm talking about. So this is basically the ministry of Elijah, the prophet. This isn't the entire ministry, but it's how we were introduced to him in first Kings. First Kings chapter 17. Um, by the way, if you are sitting down and listening to this, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts like I do when you're on the run doing something else, but if you're sitting down and listening to it, you might want to open your Bible because I'm going to read a ton of stuff. You can flip pages with me. It might be kind of fun. All right, here we go. First Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab. Now, by the way, Ahab is the bad king of Israel. So side note, we can see right here that just because somebody has a position of authority doesn't mean that God, um, that they're carrying out the will of God or the commands of God. 
Ahab is an evil king, even though he's the king of Israel. Okay? I think that says something about religious leaders. Just because someone's a religious leader doesn't mean they're good. Okay? So just a side note there. Um, by the way, in the Bible, when, when it says LORD in all caps, when it says THE LORD and the LORD is in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is God's sacred name, Yahweh. And so um, I'm just going to say Yahweh on a lot of these verses. I might not do it every time, but I'm going to try to just say Yahweh instead of the Lord in the Old Testament because that's what was actually in the Hebrew. It's God's name. And so I don't think it's, it's important that we pronounce that correctly or whatever. Some people get really into that. But I do think it's important that we understand that this is a particular God. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. So if I see the Lord, and Lord is in all caps, I'm going to say Yahweh. So I'll start over. Chapter 17, 1 Kings. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of Yahweh came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook as I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of Yahweh came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, excuse me, which belongs in Sidon, or which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As Yahweh your God lives, I have nothing baked, and only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of Yahweh that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried to Yahweh, O Yahweh, my God, why 
excuse me, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to Yahweh, O Yahweh, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of Yahweh in your mouth is truth. After many days, the word of Yahweh came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah, Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of Yahweh, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties, in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, behold, on the way, excuse me, Behold, Elijah met him, and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. As soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of Yahweh will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab that he cannot find you, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared Yahweh from my youth. Has it not been told by my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of Yahweh? How he hid a hundred men of Yahweh's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as Yahweh of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. All right. Now I read all of that. I probably could have started where I'm about to pick up in, um, chapter 18, verse 17. But I just want to get across that context is really important in these stories. Um, uh, by the way, I hope I didn't say Elisha because we're going to run into Elisha later on. That's a different guy. This is Elijah, L-E-I-J-A-H. And he is being fed, notice, um, at first by ravens and then miraculously a widow who has no food. Um, God's performing a miracle and feeding him that way. He even raises her son um, from sickness or, or even death. It says there's no breath in him. Looks like he was dead. Um, and then this other guy, Obadiah, who fears Yahweh, um, but he is working for the bad king. You know, he's kind of 
he's having to um, try to help the kingdom somehow, even though he's working for this bad king. But Obadiah is a good guy, and he's afraid that he's going to get killed. So part of the reason why I read this was just to show you that Elijah, this great prophet of God, is basically hiding. He's trying, he's hiding from the king. And even Obadiah is afraid that if he tells Ahab, the bad king, that he's seen Elijah and he doesn't bring Elijah back, that um, Ahab's going to kill him. And Ahab's wife, Jezebel, has already been killing people who are prophets of God. And Obadiah has been hiding um, the good prophets of God. So it's looking really like the power is on the side of evil here, right? God's people don't look like they're winning. And, and the people that are following and serving God don't look like they're winning. In fact, um, they, they look like they're bringing trouble upon people. In fact, Ahab is about to call Elijah the troubler of Israel because Elijah said there would be no rain by his word. And so that's the whole issue here is that there's no rain on the land. Well, there's no rain on the land because people are serving false gods. And um, God is about to deal with that. So here is the main part that I wanted us to see. Um, so picking up in 1817, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of Yahweh and followed the Baals. The Baals were false gods gods of other countries or other peoples that the Israelites knew were not true gods and were not Yahweh. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of Yahweh, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it, no fire to it, excuse me. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of Yahweh and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, 
or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of Yahweh that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bulls in pieces, cut the bull, excuse me, in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So let me interject here just for a second. You getting the picture here? Elijah is outnumbered. Elijah is the bad guy. Elijah is the troubler of Israel. And yet, the people who are winning have a God who doesn't answer. And a God who cannot light this sacrifice. They could light it themselves. But their God, who is non-existent, cannot make it happen. What does Elijah do? Elijah pours water all over it. He wants no doubt that God, Yahweh, is going to answer when he calls. And so much water, which is interesting because there's a shortage of water. <laughs> so much so that it filled up the trench. Um, so now 1836. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Yahweh, answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up all, excuse me, licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishron, Kishon, excuse me, and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. 
And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again, seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with the clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Yahweh, take my life, take away my life, excuse me, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of Yahweh came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out, stand on the mount before Yahweh. And behold, Yahweh passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it and broke in pieces the rocks before Yahweh. But Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And Yahweh said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, 
Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So I read there 1 Kings 17 through 19. And let's see where we're at on time. Um, yeah, we're already at 33 minutes. <laughs> so this episode is not going to be what I thought it was going to be. It's not going to be um, the yellow episode of the gospel in color. Um, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break um, so I'm going to press stop here in a second. And I think what I'm going to come back and do is I feel like this whole thing is like a challenge to men especially to be jealous for the name of Yahweh. So this episode will kind of serve as like an intro or a standalone episode even for... Um, for talking about who God is because I really wanted this story to kind of like set the tone when we're about to say like, okay, who is God? What is he like? So what I'll do is I'll go ahead and pause it and then um, take a minute to make a few notes and then we'll come back and just basically make some observations um, in these three chapters and maybe bring out a couple of other scriptures and kind of turn this into um, kind of a Father's Day episode. Okay, which kind of analyzes like what does this story tell us about who God is and how are we as men to apply that? So um, thank you for being patient. If you've listened to that, that was mainly just scripture from 1 Kings 17 through 19. So um, I'll be back in a second and we'll wrap this up. Thank you. Okay, so this has kind of turned into an impromptu encourage men episode which is something that maybe the lord's putting on my heart again it's something that was on my heart a couple years ago and um <clears throat> actually like had um, a lunch at my house and invited some people some guys and we talked about this we talked about shepherding um yeah pretty cool stuff um so, yeah, this is impromptu. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but um, I guess God put it on my heart. So here's some observations from 1 Kings 17 through 19, and I hope that you'll find this encouraging. So I'm just trying to make some basic observations, and then we'll link this to something from the New Testament. Um, so first off, 
being a man who bows only to Yahweh is not cool. Um, it's not going to be something that people um, necessarily praise you for um, because the truth is there's a lot of false teaching out there. There's a lot of false gods out there. And just taking the opportunity to point some of that out, um, and there's a way to do that, right? But just doing that alone will not uh, <laughs> make you very popular. Um, of course, don't do what I did sometimes and make it worse um, by um, not being gentle like the like scripture says. Um, but anyway, a um, couple more observations here. I guess five or six more. Um, I just put some bullet points here. Um, the pragmatic will not understand you. So if you, and maybe this is just, <laughs> maybe this episode is just if you are like, or like me and some things, uh, maybe we can be friends or something. Because I find that people who are very pragmatic and like, well, this is working, so we should do it. It works. Um, I don't really get along very well with those people or have much in common with them. Um, you notice that Elijah was not pragmatic. He just obeyed the word of the Lord. He obeyed the word of Yahweh and he didn't get his food in a very pragmatic way, right? Like birds had to bring him meat and bread. Um, so if, if you find yourself being one of these um, people whose life is um, strange and different and you're not following the crowd, that could be a good thing, you know? Um, yeah, it could be isolating, so please be encouraged. Um, but you might not be, um, you just might not feel like one of the guys sometimes because you're not always as concerned with the pragmatic things that work. Um, you're more concerned with obeying the, the word of the Lord. Um, another thing, um, those who think power is an earthly authority uh, will also not understand. And I um, hate to bring up this example, but I think a lot of people are really stoked by Donald Trump, um, and I'm not. And so <laughs> if you're one of those guys who's not really too stoked by uh, Donald Trump or um, not comparing him to King Ahab, but basically the same principle applies. Like God has put people in authority, but it doesn't mean that that person is to be elevated and seen as some kind of savior of some kind. Um, we are not ultimately... Um, um, how can I rephrase this? We shouldn't look to our king or our president um, or some strong leader of some kind as our deliverer. We should always have Christ as our deliverer. Um, next, your place is with the widows. And this, this kind of plays off on that as well. Your place is with the widows and the fatherless, not with kings. So... Um, if I'm not mistaken, this widow wasn't even a, um, a kind of a legit Israelite. Um, she was kind of a Gentile. I think this is the one that, that Jesus references. Um, I didn't do my homework on this episode. I'm very sorry. But um, regardless, you notice that Elijah was hanging out in the wilderness or where nobody was, or he was hanging out with a widow and her her son who apparently didn't have a father. So 
you see that God calls us to be with the lowly, with the fatherless and the widow, not necessarily hanging out with the king. Um, now that doesn't mean that Obadiah was a bad guy. He was, um, God had put him in a place, in a position with, uh, to have an influence or, or work for the king. Not saying that's a bad thing. But oftentimes we will be in positions or places where we're like, how is God going to use me here? Like, I don't understand why I'm not in a more important position. And it's just not that way. That's just not typically the way that God works. Um, also in that chapter 17, where there is fear and death, God will by faith bring trust and truth. So this is, should be a prayer for our lives as men, like the fears that our children and our wife my, and ourselves and people around us might encounter our church. Um, the, the things that um, bring spiritual death to spiritualize this a bit. Um, those things we should, uh, by prayer and faith, as Elijah did here, we should want to bring trust and truth to bear on every situation. We don't want to uh, stir up fear in the hearts of the people around us. We want to stir up trust in the Lord, right? We don't want to um, let people go off into spiritual death. We want to bring life, even if it means um, praying desperately as Elijah did for the widow's son. Um, next, like in chapter 18, Yahweh the Lord will defeat the false prophets and false gods. Even when the odds are against you, and the wood is wet, he will vindicate his name. Now look, brothers, many great men have had to become martyrs. So this is not a promise that you will survive everything. Um, the Lord himself warned us that there will be tribulation, that people will say all manner against us falsely, but we're to rejoice greatly. Um, for several reasons. I believe that passage says we're to rejoice greatly because um, our names are written in heaven. Um, but we, we should also rejoice greatly because in this time of already not yet of the kingdom where God is, is putting all things under the feet of Christ, we can rest assured that even if we don't defeat the false prophets or the false teaching that's right there in front of us, um, that we are faithful to the Lord, we're faithful to the Lord Jesus, and that God in his time is sovereign and he will defeat um, the false teachers and the false gods, um, just like he did um, uh, with the prophets of Baal. You will feel alone and hated, but Yahweh has sovereignly elected and preserved his people. You notice in chapter 19, verse 18, one of the things Elijah had just said was that he's the only one. I'm the only one left, God. I'm the only one left. And God says, no, no, no. I will leave 7,000. It's not just you. It's not just seven. It's not just 70 or 700. I have 7,000 who have not bowed the knees to Baal and their mouths have not kissed him. So we are never truly alone, brothers, if you are standing up for the Lord um, in, in a right way. You will feel alone sometimes. It'll, it'll feel like um, nobody really cares about what you're saying. Um, but if what you are 
standing up for or being true to is truly legitimate, uh, rest assured that God has reserved a remnant for himself. And this reminds us of the doctrine of election. God has sovereignly elected and will preserve his people um, according to his will. So the doctrine of election makes us confident that the Lord is preserving a people for himself. And all that we have to do is be faithful and God will do the rest. And then lastly, in 19, I thought it was really significant when Elijah uh, calls Elisha and Elisha says, uh, let me go back and say goodbye to my parents and then I'll follow you. And Elijah's like, that's fine, do it because I've just ruined your life. You know, he says, go back again for what have I done to you? <laughs> you got to love the Old Testament prophets because they're not sitting there dining with kings. They're often at odds with kings. And they know that their life is, in a worldly sense, ruined. And so find, this, find the encouragement in this, brother. God will use you to ruin other men's lives for the gospel. Okay, and that's the big thing for the gospel. In a worldly sense, our lives sometimes look ruined. That doesn't mean we go try to be weird on purpose and you know, look like we're ruining our lives or whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that it's not always the things that the world is chasing or that the world values um, that the man of God is going to be spending his time doing. And there will be times when you will look really foolish because you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. And it will ruin your life, so to speak. As the Apostle Paul says, he accounted everything else as dung compared to knowing Christ. And speaking of the Apostle Paul, um, I really should just read First and Second Timothy and Titus. <laughs> But I'm not. But I think the relationship of Elijah and Elisha reminds us in the New Testament of Paul and Timothy. And I, I would encourage you on this Father's Day to maybe read First and Second Timothy, maybe even Titus as well, which is very similar. But Paul is investing in the life of Timothy. <clears throat> now, I've heard somebody say... Um, that you know, every everybody should have a Paul and a Timothy and a Silas, or a Paul, Timothy, and a Barnabas. You know, you should have like men that you're walking alongside of, like Silas and Barnabas. They're kind of like um, mutually encouraging. You should have lives that you're pouring into, like a Timothy, and then you should have someone that you're sort of following, um, like a Paul, someone that you're learning from, or someone that's mentoring you. And I'll just say like. If you're listening to this um, and uh, you know of a good Paul, let me know. <laughs> because uh, I don't know if I have a Paul or a Timothy, really. Um, I do, I think, have a couple of brothers who are like Silas or Barnabas. Um, but honestly, um, maybe this episode is a cry for help. <laughs> I, I long to have brothers in Christ who I talk to on a 
on a you know a weekly basis at least and check in with and um this is not a poor pitiful me thing i think i need to find more ways to to reach out and do that instead of just expecting it to happen so i want to encourage you to do the same as well so i want to leave you then with a few words from second timothy um, this is from 2 Timothy 2 and 3 and a little bit of 4, but I'm just going to kind of bounce around and hit a few verses. And I'll leave you with this. And let me just say, if you're a man and you're listening to this, even if you're not a father, you know, this day represents something. God is our father, right? And we are sons of the Most High God. So happy Father's Day, even if you're not a father. Um, if you're a dude and you're listening to this and you love the Lord, happy Father's Day. Because the Father has elected to bring you into his family and make you a son and reconcile you who were once an enemy of God. Brother, serve Yahweh, even when it doesn't seem wise by the world's standards. Stand up for what you know that the word teaches and what's right. Do it in a good way. And that's why I encourage you to read First and Second Timothy, because Paul will say how he wants you to do this, how the Lord, the Holy Spirit wants you to do this. Um, so let me read you a couple things here. Um, 2 Timothy, the very beginning, chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's a little scriptural backing for that idea that Paul is saying, I want you to entrust this to others and those others are going to entrust it to others. They're going to teach others. So there is a chain reaction that happens when we're faithful to the Lord. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. His life's being ruined, right? But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Down to verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Brothers, we need to know how to handle the word of God. We need to know what it means, what the context is, and how it relates. So press on in that, please. Um, down to verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you see in this section that there is a way to do it. There is a way to not be quarrelsome while still standing for the truth. Uh, please be sure that you're doing that. 
um, chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And I'll let you read that. There's it's a really long explanation of the difficulty that's coming, um, the false teaching that people like so often. Down to 3.16 and then into 4, and we're almost done. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Not psychology. Not business principles. Not... Um, positive thinking, not mindfulness, not personality tests. Let me see if I can step on a lot of toes here. Just kidding. Um, preach the word, brothers, the word of God, not this other stuff, which profits nothing spiritually. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, which means... Share the gospel. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So what do we say? That the Lord will, he will defeat the false prophets and the false gods. He will vindicate his name. He might not do it right here in front of you, but he will do it. He has a crown of righteousness laid up for all who loved his appearing. Happy Father's Day to all the men out there. Get in the word, get with some other dudes. And love the Lord with all your heart and soul and might. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you.